You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 25. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to ask that you turn there with us. If you didn't bring a hard copy of the text, but you'd prefer to be reading out of one, you can find one under a seat around you. Um, And if you don't own a copy of scriptures at your house, we would love for you to take that one as a gift from us and have access to a copy of the Bible in your own home. And so um, again, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 25. We're going to read verses 23 through 30. Um, So when you're there, if you're able, would you please stand with me as we read God's word together? Verse 23 says, you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a hand breadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them with pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys may be seated. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's a great day to be washed in the blood. Amen. Okay, like Lauren said, we are in the book of Exodus, and we are kind of hitting the last third of the book where we're starting to talk about the tabernacle and what it means for us, and uh, very excited to hop into this particular text in verse 23 through 30 today, but I'd like to start off just by praying, asking the Lord to help us, so let's do that together right now. Father, we thank you so much for your word It's precious to us, it gives us life, it leads us to you. And so we pray this morning collectively together that you would help us to hear your word and receive it rightly, that it might bear fruit in our lives. We pray against the enemy, which your word says he comes in and he steals the seed of the word that is planted in people's hearts. We pray against that this morning. God, we pray that you would not let the enemy steal any planted seed from the word, but that it would fall on good soil. God, we pray against the cares of the world that your word says can choke the word of God from our hearts. God, we we pray against that as well. Let no cares of this world hinder us right now to hear your word. By the power of your spirit, may your word fall on good soil with good roots that last to bear fruit for eternity right now. God, be with us by the power of your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we have the topic today of what we call the table, which is a piece of furniture that is in the tabernacle. And so as we kind of been talking about this and, and Ty kind of started off this part of uh, the series talking about uh, 
the kind of tabernacle. He gave a sweet visual. I don't have one for you today, but if you want a visual of kind of what we're going to be talking about, you can go to YouTube and get like a 3D, you know, tour of the tabernacle. It's pretty awesome. So uh, if you're a visual learner, I definitely suggest you do that. But um, what we see in the tabernacle is, there's a few things. One is that God issues the tabernacle to be built because what he is doing is he's saying, I'm going to put my presence with my people. I'm going to dwell among them. Okay, that's why he's building the tabernacles. He's going to dwell among his people in the wilderness. And what we see in the tabernacle is that as you kind of enter into the tabernacle, things start off, they're kind of made with bronze. You got the, you know, the altar of sacrifice there. It's made with bronze, which is not a particularly uh, super precious metal. And then as you kind of get further into an, another room, which is called the holy place, which is where uh, the bread of the presence and the table are that we'll be discussing today, uh, and things are starting to be made with gold, and it gets more precious. And then once you get into the holy of holies, it's like lots of detail in there. And the holies of, of holies is where God, uh, his presence was, right? It's kind of obviously everywhere, but this is a particular spot that uh, was very intense, right? Only the high priest could go in there, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement, after they made certain sacrifices, he would go in there, and they would also attach a, a bell to him, because if he would go in there and some mishap happened, where he would degrade the glory of God in the presence of God, he would be slain, and they would have to drag him out. So he had a rope attached to him, a little bell, and he would go into the Holy of Holies. It's pretty intense, right? This is God dwelling with his people. He is a mighty God. But there's really, within the tabernacle, there's two overarching themes we see. One is that God is glorious, and two is that God is holy, right? God is altogether different than we are. He's totally different, totally other, way above us, nothing like us, and he's also glorious. He's amazing. He's all-powerful. He's awesome. So there was a, a sense of fear and reverence for the people of God with the tabernacle, and this is pretty cool. And so I want to read one more text that specifically talks about the bread of the presence and the table before we hop into uh, kind of what we're going to talk about today. So let's look at Leviticus 24, starting in verse 5. It says this, You shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever, and it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. So in light of this text and the text of Exodus, I want to kind of do two main things today. One, I want to just talk about the nature of the table. What's it look like? What's done with it? And why is it done? And then I want to talk about the purpose, which would be more of the why question. And really with the purpose, I want to just talk about like three main uh, reminders for us. Now, the book of Hebrews uh, in chapter 9, it addresses the bread of the presence and the table and some other things that are in the tabernacle and basically says, uh, you know, th these things were, were a shadow, right? They're a shadow of Jesus Christ. And so the book of Hebrews gives us license to look into this and say, there, there, there's something that as New Testament believers, we should be reminded of here. Now, one thing I just kind of want to throw out there is, you know, we are not, we are not a part of this culture that got the tabernacle. And so as, a, as an American in 2022, reading what is going on here in the tabernacle is weird. We have to get that 
onto the table, okay? It's weird. It's different. It's unlike anything we would do ever for the most part, okay? This is just a culture where it was normal in the Near East culture to sacrifice to different gods by giving them different animals and to give them bread and other kinds of offerings and have them eat it. This is a normal thing. For us, we're usually not knee-deep in the blood of animals, you know, lighting the entrails on fire and giving sacrifices to gods. And so a lot of things we see here are very meticulous, very intricate, and honestly very weird for our context. This is not how we worship, right? We come in here uh, on a Sunday morning and we sing songs and we hear a sermon and we pray to the Lord. And this may seem quite different and quite weird, but I promise you there are things we can glean from it that are very good for our soul and that teach us about the Lord. So let's talk about the nature of the table really quick. So um, the table of bread, it was a table, as Lauren read, it was made of acacia wood, and it was overlaid with pure gold. This was an expensive table, all right? It was just, it's made out of a nice wood that wouldn't rot easily, and then it was just covered in gold everywhere, which would be pretty great. Um, this object was located very close to the direct presence of God in the Holy of Holies. Therefore, it had to be made out of really precious things. It was uh, two cubits long, one cubit wide, and about a cubit and a half tall. Uh, and a cubit was about a foot and a half. So it's basically three foot long. Uh, it's a foot and a half wide and about two and a quarter tall. So this wasn't a huge table, but it was big enough for the purpose that it served. Okay, So it was kind of a tinier table is what it looked like. It had a rim of gold going around it, uh, probably so that things wouldn't fall off. But this rim was very intricately designed. It was beautiful, um, and, and, and it was probably a very beautiful table, one that you wouldn't want to mess up. I had four rings that were inlaid on it, and this was for the purpose, like many other things in the tabernacle. Because remember, the tabernacle was not like the temple, which stood in a permanent place. The tabernacle was literally a tent that would be moved throughout the wilderness as the people traveled and as God led them throughout the wilderness. And so uh, all of the holy items that were in the tabernacle, they had these rings on them and they would slide. Uh, once again, a pole of acacia wood covered in gold would slide through the ring so that four people could carry it, right? And the priest would carry it from one place to the next. And this was so that they, they wouldn't touch the holy things or uh, disrupt the holy things. And they weren't supposed to touch it directly. Um, God also instructed Moses not just to have the table, but there was things on the table. There was utensils. There was kind of bowls for drink offerings. There was utensils for the bread to sit on and for things to be worked with. On this table, you have something that's called the bread of the presence, or my faithful King James readers out there, you might see the word uh, shoe bread, or maybe in a modern show bread. Uh, and so basically, in the Hebrew, this word could basically really be translated the bread of faces. And what this meant is that it was supposed to be uh, shown or presented before the face of God is the idea. And this is very common both in Hebrew and Greek to use before someone's face as to mean and reference in their presence. And so this is why uh, the ESV decides to translate it the bread of the presence. Okay. Um, the bread of the presence was put on the table regularly. So every Sabbath day, which was once a week, the priests were in charge of baking 12 new loaves of bread and placing them on the table. They would take the 12 off of the table and they would actually eat those. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means and why they did that. But they would actually eat the bread. And then they would have to also put a thing of frankincense on each stack of the six breads. And they would eventually, as they took the bread off and put new ones on, they would take that frankincense and they would burn it as a, a pleasing smell 
to God. Um, and so there's a lot going on here. This is very interesting about what's happening. But that's kind of what we see here. And so once a week, the, the, the priest would come in. They would change out the bread. And they would actually eat that bread in the holy place, in the presence of God. The priest would share in that bread together. It was a very sacred thing. And I think there's a lot we can learn from it. So let's talk about the purpose of this table. I bet you thought you would never sit through a whole church gathering just talking about a table and some bread, but we're going to do it. So there are lots of things we could say, lots of possible analogies we could pull from the bread in this table. Uh, if you start, you know, you Google search online, you can go down some serious uh, rabbit trails, okay? My goal is not to do that today. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I do think that there's three evident reminders for us as New Covenant, New Testament era believers that are true both for the people of Israel when this happened and true for us today that I think will benefit us greatly spiritually if we would consider them. Uh, the first reminder is that this table reminds us of God's provision for his people. God's provision for his people. Now, the Israelites up to this point in the book of Exodus, they have experienced God's provision in some profound, amazing, and crazy ways. Let's go through a few of them. One, when they were delivered from slavery in Egypt, right? This is the famous story of the Exodus is that God's people were in Egypt. They were a prominent people there. They were growing. And when the next Pharaoh came that didn't remember God's people, he put them into slavery and it was terrible. And God eventually, uh, he was listening. He heard their groans, their cry for help. And God said, I'm going to step in and I'm going to provide a way of escape from the slavery. And God did that in miraculous ways, right? He provided the, the 10 plagues that we talk about, which were basically God showing his dominance over the false gods of Egypt. And then God miraculously, he breaks Pharaoh's will and he rescues his people out of slavery. And as they're going, Pharaoh changes his mind, right? This is where you get the Red Sea story. Pharaoh changes his mind and says, nope, you guys aren't leaving. I'm coming to attack you. And he brings his army to go attack the people of God. And once again, God provides a way of escape, right? He puts the fire that blocks them. He parts the Red Sea that God's people may walk through the Red Sea unharmed. And then he brings back the Red Sea in this awesome moment where God kills and destroys Pharaoh and his armies. And the people sing a song of God's provision. And then they get into the wilderness and God provides for them because you're in the wilderness. As far as I know, there wasn't a compass that was made yet. And so God creates a way for them to be guided throughout the wilderness, right? There's a cloud by day. There's a pillar of fire by night that they're kind of following and just trusting in the Lord. And then they get hungry, right? Because they're out in the wilderness. You can only eat so many bugs before you're still hungry. And so what God does is he provides manna, this bread that comes down from heaven, and he provides food for his people as they complain. And there's also even quail, which I really appreciate because I love eating meat. And so if it was just bread out there, I would be stressed out. But God provides quail for them to eat as well. Um, God provides water from a rock in the middle of nowhere in the desert multiple times for them. God takes bitter water and makes it sweet so they could drink it. God is constantly providing for his people in the wilderness, right? They're in a place where they have to lean on him. They don't trust him well, but God is continually gracious to them and provides. And so when it comes to the tabernacle, God sets up this table in the bread of the presence to be a constant, perpetual reminder that God is the one who provides for his people. He's the one that provides. God is a provider. Israel provides God nothing, and God provides Israel everything they need for life and godliness, right? This is how it works, and it's how it works for us. And also remember that there, there's a significance to the 12 loaves, right? So that represents... For these people in that time, the 12 tribes of Israel, right? There's 12 tribes of 
the people of God, and this is what it clearly represented. And this means that God was providing not just for one tribe or some people, but God was providing for all of his people. He made a covenant with them that he was going to lead them, he was going to guide them, and he was going to provide for them. And make no mistake, this table, the bread of the presence, is a reminder for us in Christ that God provides for our every need. He still does that to this day. Whether you work hard and make lots of money or you're broke and barely hanging on, God is the one who provides. It's not you, right? And God may use you as an instrument, but he is the one who owns everything he provides. And we're reminded of this in the story in the New Testament in John chapter 6. I want to read this for us together, starting in verse 1 of John chapter 6. It says this, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And then Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, what we see here, so you get this correlation, numbers kind of important, okay? You got the 12 tribes of Israel. When Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the the Messiah, the prophet, the God-man who would come to save his people, it's no mistake that he appoints 12 apostles, right? That's why the apostles, when, when Judas betrayed Jesus and killed himself, they said in the book of Acts, we need to get another guy in here to be the, the 12th guy because that number was important, right? That number was important because God was showing that the same covenant he made with Abraham is now true for all of those in Christ in the new covenant. And so when we look at the 12 pieces of bread of the presence, we should see the promise that, like Jesus said, he was the cornerstone, and then on the foundation of the apostles, his church is being built, which is us. We're included in that promise, right? Through the apostles, through Jesus Christ himself, we have this promise. And so what Jesus is doing here when he feeds the 5,000 men plus women and children is he's trying to show his apostles, his disciples, that he is the one that provides. They need to trust him. He does this over and over again, right? It seems like the disciples are always talking about food because, you know, he'll do this miracle multiple times and then he still finds them arguing about what they're going to eat. And he's like, don't you get it, right? And what he's trying to say is I provide, I'm it, right? I'm the source of life. I am who sustains you. This is a big lesson for us, a big promise for us. And I want to point out one more thing, and this is important, I think, with how uh, God does things, is that remember, this represents God providing for his people, not us providing for God, okay? This is important because, like I said, it was a common practice in this day in the Near East for people to make sacrifices to gods. But here's the difference. The pagan people who didn't have the true God that sacrificed to false gods, they 
would give their gods all this food, but they would do it in such a way where whether they would burn it, they would do something that they could imagine that the gods were actually eating it and being sustained by the people. And so there was this weird thing where the gods would get very angry if there was there weren't daily sacrifices to the gods because they needed to be sustained by food. So the gods needed something, right? They're served by human hands because they need something from God. But God purposefully make sure that he's not going to be the one to eat the bread, right? It's going to be the priest. Why? Because what he's showing us is that you don't provide me anything. I provide you everything, right? He doesn't need a house. He doesn't need anything from human hands. God doesn't need to eat that he might be sustained. God does not need anything from you, but rather he is the provider. And so we see this picture of a glorious God who provides all that we need, the true creator having no need for himself to be sustained by daily food. That's why he says, give it back to Aaron and his sons that they might eat it. This is an important lesson from this. This is why the priests were partaking in the bread. It's very important. And so maybe one application from this point is that I just want to mention that we are an anxious people. We are. Statistically, just in the world in general, this bears out. There's all-time high of uh, mental illness, anxiety, all, all of these things. And um, granted, we've had some circumstances that maybe don't play into that well. And I'm not saying there's not legitimate circumstances of anxiety, whether that be physically or something else. But I, I think it begs the question, why are we so anxious? Right? And it's because we don't trust the Lord. We don't. That's why I love scriptures like Psalm 84:11, which says, Our God is a sword and shield. He withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. I love that, right? So if you feel that God has robbed you because you don't have everything that you think that you need or everything that you think that you want, or you look on Facebook and you're so jealous and envious of what someone else has, remember, God withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. So if you don't have what someone else has that you really want, it's not good for you. God has not given you that purposefully because he provides everything you need for life and godliness in him. He provides. We need to trust him. We can't be an anxious people. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't be like the Gentiles that worry about what they're going to put on or what they're going to eat. God knows that you need those things. And he even feeds the sparrow, right? And you're of more value than many sparrows. God knows what you need. He, he provides. I was just praying. I don't think, I'm not going to mention her name. I don't think she would care if I mentioned it. I was just praying last service with someone who just lost a job. I was very nervous about that circumstance. I just looked at her and said, look, God sees every tear. He hears every groan and moan and wail of your heart, and he knows. And he's leading you to trust him right now. I'm not saying don't apply for jobs. I'm not saying don't work hard, but he's leading you to trust him. He's doing it for your good. He's doing it with a purpose. It's not arbitrary. God wasn't like just watching, you know, CNN and not paying attention or something and totally slipped. It's not what happened. He withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Yahweh is in control. And this bread of the presence was a constant reminder of his provision. Every bite from the priest was a reminder that God sustains God is life. We would do well to remember that together today. Number two, the table reminds us not only of God's provision, but the table reminds us of God's presence with his people. 
God's presence. This is important. Remember, this is the whole idea of the tabernacle was God's presence with his people. And so we discussed how the bread of the presence means before the face of God, right? And so this bread was presented before the face of God in his presence in a holy place. The, the, the priests were to partake of this bread every week as they, they change it out in a holy place in the presence of God. This is to be a reminder that God is with his people. Now, uh, presence, I think, implies two main things. One is that God was providing his presence. It, it, it represents communion and fellowship with our God. Friendship, if you will, right? You're at a table, you share a meal together. That, that is a thing of friendship, right? And the, the Bible talks about this over and over again. This is why we just read Psalm 23 and worship together. What does it say? God, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. What does he mean by that? He means in the midst of all these people that want to kill me, which David had a lot of them. God, you're preparing a table for me. Your fellowship is still real to me in the presence of my enemies. There is a fellowship. There's this togetherness. This is why Jesus was berated by the religious leaders of the day for being a drunkard, a glutton, because they said, look, you recline at the table with tax collectors, prostitutes, drunkards, the, the lowest of low. Jesus is at the table eating with them. And they said, you are disgusting. So they said to Christ, right, like, you, you are a sinner. That's why he got called a drunkard, a glutton, all these things. Because to be at the table with someone is to have fellowship with them. This is meaningful. For God to set up a table in the holy place for the priest to present him with a meal and therefore for them to enjoy the meal, this is to reach out in fellowship in a real way. God is associating with his people in fellowship. This should be a comfort to us. Remember, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I say. So as we terribly but truthfully try to walk in obedience, we are friends with Christ. So this just represents that. And presence also represents the holiness of God. Okay, this was not a kind of friendship that's like Jesus is my homeboy. That's not what it was. It's a great idea for a t-shirt in the 90s, but it's not a good reality, right? This was the presence of God, the very presence of the God that if the high priest was to make one mistake, he was dead. It's the very presence of God that shook on the mountains and scared the living daylights out of the people that they buried their heads in the sand. I don't know about you, but I've never buried my head in the sand purposely out of fear. Come to think of it, I don't think I've ever buried my head in the sand, but you get the point, all right? It's terrifying. God's holy. He's altogether different. The priests would lay out this bread, and it was not a frivolous thing. It was not arbitrary. It was not jovial. It was joyful, but it was not jovial. It was serious. We're not a serious people in America, unfortunately. TikTok can attest to that, but um, we need to be serious sometimes. It's important. Now, as mentioned, God has no need of sustenance. He does not have any need of it, but they would have been well aware as they're setting out this table, offering this bread to God right next to the Holy of Holies, sharing this meal in a holy place. They would have been well aware of this scary and if I can maybe use the word awful, presence of God with them. They would have been well aware. There's no gallivanting around in the holy place, just messing around. Not a chance. So the bread being eaten by the priest was to be eaten in a holy place. Let's look at uh, Leviticus 24 one more time, verse 9. It says, And it shall be for Aaron and his sons 
and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. They were to eat this bread in the room right next to the holies of holies, and it was to be a holy moment. This was to be heavy. This was to be glorious. This was to be amazing. Let's look at a story in 1 Samuel and verse 21. And we're going to read Jesus talk about the story in a moment, but I want to read it first because it brings up a good, a good point. So in 1 Samuel 21, starting in verse 3, what's happening here is David is fleeing from the king at that time who is Saul. It is known that David is a better warrior and that he's going to be the true king of Israel. And Saul hates that. And he's also got some demons, it seems like, that are kind of messing with him. And so his goal is to kill David. And he tries multiple, multiple times. And during this time, David is still a part of Saul's army, army, but he's running away from Saul and he's hiding. So he can't just walk into a city and get some food because there's Saul's boys there, right? And they're going to either try to kill him or get Saul, you know, tell him where it's at. So David's kind of sneaking around the kingdom uh, with his men that were faithful to him and they're hungry. And here's what happens when they talk to uh, Amalek, the priest, starting in verse 3. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, and David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, For there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. So what we see here, and Jesus is going to tell us it was a good thing that happened right here. It wasn't necessarily against the heart of the law. But what happens is David and his men are hungry. They have nowhere to go. They stop in and a priest sees that they're hungry and he says, hey, look, if you've been walking uprightly with the Lord, I can give you this holy bread. But if not you're going to bring judgment upon yourself. So I need to know if you've been walking with the Lord or you've been uh, doing some unholy things, basically is what it is that he's saying. And so David says, yes, we've been holy, obviously, and he gets the bread. Now, I say that to point out that this bread was to be holy. The, the priest didn't just walk in there and eat the bread. They would have had to make sacrifices before they would go in to do this, right? So you got the bronze altar that's on kind of the outer rim there of the tabernacle, and they were making sacrifices to God for uh, the forgiveness of their sins, as Hebrews talks about. They would have to do this over and over again. They would do this as they would walk into the holy place to uh, change out the bread, partake in the bread, and do these things. And so um, we're reminded of the holy presence of God. I want to point out something because the New Testament is clear, okay, about our relationship with God as New Testament believers. What does it say? It says that the same Spirit of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. I think a picture of the eminent and real, the reality of a holy God and his presence with us will keep us from going off into crazy sin. I think that. I think about, look, so for them to walk into the tabernacle, the presence of God was eminent, right? It was really there. (laughs) It was really there. To walk into the next room, you would have been slain if you weren't the high priest, right? It was really there. The presence of God was really real to them. And for us as believers, how much more real should it be if the living God dwells in you? And as 1 Corinthians 10 says, you are a temple of the living God. What's that saying? It's saying God in the wilderness, he put his dwelling in the tabernacle, but now he puts his dwelling in you through Jesus Christ, sending his spirit to you. I I, I mourn sometimes at myself and 
ourselves as we struggle with sin and we have no like reality to see, if we had more of an eminent sense of God's presence with us, I think that would keep us from sinning. Not that we'll ever be perfect. We know that. We're part of the flesh. We're fallen. We get that. God's going to make us totally new one day in the kingdom. But God does promise that he provides a way of escape. Do you have a sense of the presence of God in your life? Do you kind of relegate that to like, well, when I go to Sunday morning and I'm in communion, yeah, they talk about presence there, and that's a holy moment. So I make sure I confess my sin there and you know, don't bring judgment upon myself, which is a reality. But throughout your everyday life, do you have a real eminent sense, true sense of the presence of God in your life? Because you should. I pray for those of you that are in the struggle, the snare of temptation, of repetitive sin, that you would remember the presence of God and you would pray for the Spirit to give you courage as we struggle together. This picture of the holy and present God would give us joy in our faith. So let's move on, lastly, for the sake of time. The table not only reminds us of the presence of God and provision of God, but the table also reminds us of God's eternal covenant with his people. Now, you probably thought as a good pastor, I was going to use another P word, so that way I have an alliteration of three Ps, but I'm just not that great. So I got a different word. It's the eternal covenant, okay? Let's read uh, Leviticus 24.8 one more time, just in case we missed it. It says this, every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. What he's clarifying right here, the writer of Leviticus, is he's clarifying that this bread of the presence, this table of the 12 loaves, was to be a constant reminder of the, the eternal covenant God had made with his people. I love this. Our God is a covenant-keeping God, right? He makes covenants with his people, and he does not back away from his covenants. God fulfills every promise, every dot, of the law, everything, God fulfills it. He, we are not faithful, but God is faithful. So every time they saw the 12 loaves and they partook of them, the priests, they would be reminded of the covenant God made with Abraham that through his offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed, right? That they would multiply on the face of the earth, that God was going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, that God was going to deal with, with the death grip that sin had on the world and particularly on his people, that God was going to make a way for his people to be saved through the Messiah, that they would live forever in pure forgiveness of their sins and in holiness and in righteousness with their God, that God would be their God and and they would be his people. Every bite of the bread, every vision of the presence of God in This room at the table was a constant reminder of God's covenant with his people. It was a perpetual do. I love that terminology. It was a constant thing that was there that was reminding them of the hope of the covenant, the joy of the covenant, the truth of the covenant, that God always keeps his promises, that God is always faithful to his word. So as we look at the bread, I pray that we're reminded of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. Right, And you probably knew this was coming. But when Jesus says, I am the bread of life and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you have the bread, you'll never be hungry again. Right? When Jesus says that, he's not just talking about the manna. He's also talking about this bread and every other kind of bread analogy like in the Lord's Supper. Right? Jesus is saying he's the sign of the covenant. He is the sustainer of the covenant. He is the seal of the covenant. He is the bread that was broken for us. Right? We need to see that. 
And so we must always ask for eyes to see the covenant. Now I want to go to one more text. I want to hit one more final truth for us that I hope encourages us. And I get this from Matthew 12. And I'm just going to say that Jesus is the greater tabernacle. Now, one thing to remember is that the tabernacle was the initial house of God that was mobile. Like we talked about, it was kind of moved from place to place as the people of God moved. And then what we see in David's time is that the tabernacle was still there, but God was going to promise that, you know what, now I'm going to set you guys in a permanent location, the land I promised, and I'm going to, we're going to build a temple there. He said, David, you can't build it because your hands are too bloody, but your son Solomon, he will build the temple, and I will make my permanent dwelling place right here on this mount. But before that, we had the tabernacle. So when you see the word temple here, remember, these are one and the same of the analogy, except that the temple just didn't move. But let's read what Jesus says, starting in Matthew 12, verse 1. We're almost done here. Just perk your ears up. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? You can now say that you have because we read it together. How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying? He's the tabernacle. He is the temple, right? Jesus is the greater tabernacle because the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell in the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the bread of life that sustains and satisfies us and gives us the kingdom. Jesus sends his presence via the Holy Spirit, to now live in us as many tabernacles. And he makes his tabernacles, as Ty said last week, with us, right? Revelation 21, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is pointing to Christ. And you're going to hear this every week as we talk about the tabernacle because there's so many analogies in the tabernacle that just speak of Jesus. But my prayer is that you wouldn't have deaf ears this morning. My prayer is that you behold the Christ of the covenant, the sign and the seal, that there would be an eminent and real feeling and knowledge and desire for Christ Jesus, the sign of the covenant, the bread laid on the table to be slain, the bread to be consumed in the presence of God because he's holy, the bread to remind us as a perpetual due that Christ is all in all, that there is a new covenant for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, that there is a trust in the provision of Christ, the presence of Christ, the covenant of Christ that you can have and is yours in Christ Jesus. I pray we feel that this morning. And so now I want to move. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together as we do every Sunday. And I want to read one more text.